Hallelujah. Boy, if you're at home, don't be afraid. Would you just clap your hands right now, even if you're at home, and just to say, only God can do this. You know, just before we pray, I was thinking about this and just even listening and singing that song that Greg wrote and we sang together. We are living in unprecedented times. And what is happening now is literally out of human control. We don't have the technology to stop it. We don't have the resources to stop it. We don't even have, in a sense, the money or even a military to stop this. But just as we sang right now, only God can do it. That's what we believe here. And that's what we know you believe. And we want to give hope to people today that we are in a no option place that we are looking every day to what's changing around us. But today we're going to look up to someone who doesn't change. God doesn't change. Let's pray. God, we sang it and we declare it. Only God can give us life. Only God can bring healing. Only God can bring protection. And so, Lord, over every person that is watching and will be watching on their phone, on their computer, as families are gathered together in the tri-state area around the country and around the world, we declare from the heart of, of New York City, from what is now considered an epicenter of COVID-19, we declare that God can do it. God can bring healing. God can bring deliverance. God can bring protection. We declare it from the epicenter, Lord God. We stand like Moses right in the right there at the Red Sea when everybody else says it can't be done. And we say today, only God can do it. So we thank you today, God. Would you turn our eyes upon you today? for these few moments of encouragement here from the heart of New York City. Thank you for Pastor Carter. Thank you for President Teresa Conlin, who is um, just, you have used her to invest in all of these students. And even on this day, Lord God, would you turn even our leadership from our mayor to our governor, Lord God, to, to our president and vice president, secretary of state, the Senate, Lord God, would you turn their eyes up to you, that there would come a cry from the government offices around America and around the world, only God can get us through this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, this virus, COVID-19, is creating some very interesting things. In fact, as we are going through these, these uncharted waters, and waters that we have never been um, in this entire planet I've ever gone through to this degree, you know, there's three things in particular that I'm seeing what's happening in, in a positive sense through the coronavirus. Let me just tell you what it is creating. This crisis is creating. The first thing is, and you heard part of it today, this crisis is really creating creativity coming out of the house of God. Think about that. For the first time in American history, in American history, churches, not only around America, but around the world, have had to shut their doors. But just because the doors of a building have been shut, doesn't mean that the word of God has been shut out. Because of the creativity that's coming from churches all over America and all over the world, we are seeing what God is beginning to speak. Think about it. I want to even encourage you. Think of the devotionals that are coming even each day from Pastor Carter, from his kitchen. 
I want to encourage you, go to, go to our website, go to our social media, the Instagram, go to the Facebook, go to, to what we have and begin to subscribe. And then every day you begin to get an encouraging word. That's the creativity that God is using. Think, think about what even President Teresa Conlon has talked about. Pastor Teresa was talking about, talk about creativity instead of just simply shutting down the school on the 2020 grads, she flipped the script for those grads and said, you'll graduate, then you'll finish your studies online. Think of the creativity that God gave to President Conlin in just 24 hours to flip the script like that. That's what God does in a crisis like this. I mean, we, we have gotten creative in so many different ways, other creative ways that are helping people. We're watching people all over the country finding ways to help the elderly by bringing them groceries or their prescriptions. This is what makes this amazing, is that the heart can't be dulled in time like this. We get creative when our backs are against the wall. We figure out creative waves of coughing now. No one can cough into their fist, but now we're creatively coughing in our arms. So what is amazing is what God does in a crisis brings creativity. But let me tell you the second thing. Crisis creates community. You can call it quarantine, but really it is community. A crisis is bringing people closer together that have had so much margin in their life. And, and even though forced, it's bringing people together. We are using words like social distancing to get creative even in our contacts with each other. But always think about this. Community means caring. Um, people making sure neighbors have what they need. Um, that we are not hoarders, but we are sharers in times of crisis. Who would, who would have thought that when we're seeing friends and family that we're making sure that people have enough of toilet paper? This is what's amazing about community is that God is bringing, is doing something inside of us that is creating a community, um, not only in the church, but even in our homes. I told my children that what would be hard in lockdowns is if you were stuck in a family that you didn't particularly like. And maybe this is a moment God is wanting to bring resolve even in a family. And you have no idea that God may be putting quarantine to bring resolve of conflict that maybe never would have gotten resolved unless something like this beginning to create a community. And I'll tell you, and I understand lockdown. I have four children. I have four teenagers now. And I have to tell you, by day three, I finally asked my kids, when are you going back to school? But I have to tell you, it has been an incredible community, even for us as a family. But here's the one that I really want to talk to you about. Not only has crisis created creativity, from the devotionals, from a kitchen, to the flipping of the script from a graduation from our summit. We've watched it create community of families getting closer together. But this crisis, listen to me close, is creating conversations that we would never have. Think about that for a second. Because this is so important, and this is one is huge. The conversations I have had in the last two weeks with doctors, with neighbors, with people in airports, planes, athletes, have been deeper and bigger than they've ever been before. Do you know, even last night, I had a phone call from a friend um, where Major League Baseball is on pause. He, him and his wife were in their living room talking about, is this the end times? Called me up and said, would you pray for us? Tell us what to do. What are we supposed to do in dealing even with MLB? 
and to have these conversations and guiding them through these big conversations that they're going to be able to have with fellow players and, and coaches around the league. The conversations that I have had have gone from apocalypse to um, political conspiracy to the election to Putin and even Saudi Arabia. But let me just tell you something. Big conversations are presenting themselves and I want you to be ready, Times Square Church. I want you to be ready, those that are watching with us. Now listen to me close. Because when you start talking with people, remember, it's not only creating community and creating creativity, but it's creating these conversations. And here's what I want to challenge you. When you start talking with people, do not, do not rehearse the news over and over again. Go deeper. Don't rehearse the news that everybody is watching. It's as simple, here's what I mean by going deeper. Let me just help you. It could be something like this. What are you seeing important now that you didn't see important four weeks ago? That's a great question to ask. How about this one? What is becoming a priority to you that may have got pushed lower down the priority list that you're making a priority now? These kind of conversations are conversations that people never would have had before. I had a priority conversation with people in my neighborhood and a conversation went like this. Is this the end? And I said, I'm not sure if it's the end, but I do know this. God is making us get our priorities in order and God who's been down low, low in the list for some of us is now coming back up to the top for almost every single one of us. Would God, when God, when God goes down on the list of importance, I'm just telling you, nothing but a worldwide pandemic can get him back in view with what's happening around the planet. Stop repeating CNN and Fox News. Stop repeating the numbers. We got it. We all have access to the numbers. But listen, what people don't have access to is somebody that can have the bigger conversation with them. That's where you come in. They have access to listening to the doctors and all the, the, the political heads and all the, all the information that's coming out at real time. But what nobody is doing on CNN and Fox News is having the deeper conversation, the God conversations, the priority conversations, what this means to them and, and of God and eternity and priority. That when people watch the news, they're watching that ticker and their hearts literally are failing them. Think about that. All they're doing when you watch the news, their ears are listening to the reports, but their eyes are watching a Dow Jones and a stock market going down. Their eyes are watching the numbers go up on cases confirmed and deaths being confirmed. Italy facing its highest number. All those numbers of deaths that, they've, that they have faced in the whole crisis. And everybody's watching this. The mayor of New York City, where we're at right now, is calling this the epicenter. More cases confirmed here. And all of this is now beginning to, to come to a head. And people are worried everywhere. And we need to give them something deeper, not more facts and numbers. And that's what makes this so important. Even on the plane flying in, we, we were sitting and, and the woman behind me asked four or five questions just of whether she should take a drink from the flight attendant, a, a hot drink. She was going, do I take a cold drink, a hot drink? It was, which one is safe for me? Did you wipe down the counter? Did, where did the cups come from? Were the cups plastic? We, we, we're afraid even to take a, a cup of coffee without knowing. And that's why 
we are in a position that these conversations are so important. And what I want to do today is I want to help you and maybe even give you something to help somebody else when they're going through this crisis. In fact, I want to give to you five words to say in your crisis. In fact, they're not mine. We're going to take them right from the scripture. But five words that will not only equip you, your household, but even equip you for those conversations. Five words to help a troubled heart that I want to take you to a crisis in David's life. And the five words that literally steadied him in one of the most difficult times that David faced. This is one of the lowest moments of David's life. And when you turn to this chapter, C.S. Lewis in his book on the Psalms, Reflections on the Psalms says, when you open up Psalm 103, this is what Lewis says. He says, it strikes us in the face like the heat of a furnace because you're hearing somebody talking from their furnace, from their difficult times. You feel it from David. David is being attacked. The, he uses words like, I'm being surrounded. He's using words that I'm being fought against, attacked with lies. There's deceit and even accusations that are coming towards him. He's at the lowest point that he's ever been when you open up Psalm 103. And to add insult to injury, when he gets to the, to, to, in the middle of, of, his, uh, of his low point, he says, this didn't come from enemies. It came from friends and the people that I love, which made it even sting even more of what David was, was coming against. And when David does this, it only takes four verses to find those five words that David used in this crisis that we're going to borrow for our own words in our crisis across America and across the world. Let me read this to you and what David says. This is verse one. Oh God of my praise, don't be silent. For they have opened, for, for they have opened the wicked and the deceitful mouth against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They have surrounded me with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. And in return for my love, they act as my accusers. And here it comes, but I am in prayer. Think of those words for a second. My heart leaps within me when I'm hearing David recount the Dow Jones ticker that's going against him, the, 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 the confirmed cases of COVID-19 that are shooting up. And I could just see David looking at the ticker of everyone coming against him. And then those five words the, that is connected to the conjunction, but I am in prayer. Five powerful words for David's crisis really helps us in our crisis. I, I was reading an article. Uh, I, I couldn't even remember where it was on, it was, it was on a plane somewhere of what fish do when a hurricane hits a section of the ocean. It was incredible. They said when the waters are turbulent on top, they said this, fish go down to 26 feet because it seems to be a depth that no matter what's happening on top, that depth brings a calm to them that no storm can get to. That really what was happening, Psalm 103 verse 4, that was 26 feet for David. That was David saying, I know what's happening all up here, but I'm going to go down even deeper. That's what this is. Those five words is 26 feet. I, but I am in prayer. That just sometimes, let me just tell you something, that neology is even better than theology. 
And sometimes you just have to fall on your knees. Or as, as Dr. Charles Stanley said from Atlanta, he said this, the shortest distance between a problem and a solution is the distance between my knees and the floor of just crying out to God. That's what David was saying. David's saying, it's turbulent up top, but I'm going to go down 26 feet. I'm going down to the place that I could say, but I am in prayer. I know what they're saying. I know what's being reported. I know what's coming against me, but I'm in prayer. Those five words, incredible five words for any crisis that we're facing. And, and praying this psalm can literally bring comfort. Let me tell you a journey I went on for just a moment. When I was facing one of the toughest storms in my life, and I'm so thankful for Pastor Carter. He was one of those men that guided me even through one of the roughest storms of my life. But I'll never forget, I was reading through the Bible in a year. And as I got to the book of Acts, I came across Acts chapter 4 and came to a section that I just, I just never noticed before. It was... The early church has started, the very first church. And so you have the first church. And in my Bible that I was reading, whenever the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, it puts all the letters in capital, just as, just as a reminder, just to say, this is coming from the Old Testament. And when I got to Acts chapter 4, a, a lame man was just healed in Acts 3. The, the, the first persecution comes to the church, they're thrown into prison, they are persecuted and even beaten, told not to preach or bring healing in Jesus' name anymore. And this then happens to be the first prayer of the first church. As I'm reading it, I'm looking, and the prayer is mostly in capital letters, and I'm going, this is from the Old Testament. They're praying the Old Testament. And that prayer in Acts chapter 4, as I was reading it, literally was from Psalms chapter 2. It was, it was the early church praying the Psalms in their most difficult time. And then it hit me, wait a second. That's exactly what Jesus did when he was on the cross. When Jesus was on the cross, the, 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 the moment, the, the lowest moment of, of, his, of the ministry of, on planet Earth, but his redemption ministry, his, he feels like his father has left him. And he is now surrounded by all of his accusers. He is about to redeem the planet. And from that cross, he starts to pray Psalms 22. Those words come from the Psalms. And, and then it just kept going. I, I thought to myself, the early church prays the Psalms at a tough moment. Jesus prays the Psalms from the cross. And then this is the one that got me. Talk about a tough moment. When you go to Jonah chapter 2 and Jonah is in the belly of the fish, you ready for this? Not only does he pray the Psalms, I counted eight different Psalms that he prays in the belly of a fish. And all I thought to myself is that when I think through this, Jesus praying the Psalms on the cross, Jonah praying the Psalms in the belly of a fish, the early church praying the Psalms. And let me just tell you something. We are in the belly of of, of, of a hellish moment right now. And I'm telling you, we need these words from David, but I am in prayer. We're joining a company of the early church of Jesus and Jonah. And I took the Psalms and I want to, and I'm going to tell you what my, what, what I did for two years, for two years, there's 150 Psalms. And I took five Psalms every single day. And I said, I am going to create 
a prayer language that if, if Jesus, Jonah, and the early church prayed the Psalms, then I'm going to let whatever jumps out and every it jumps out in that reading. And every month I read through the Psalms, five chapters a day, 30 times five, 150. And then I did that for two years, read through the Psalms 24 times and literally created a journal of just praying the Psalms. And if you want to start today, start with this one, Psalm 103, verse four, but I am in prayer. Those were one of my Psalms that I cried out. I said, no matter what's happening around me, I'm going down 26 feet. If the first church did it and Jesus did it and Jonah did it, I can do it in a virus time, in a crisis time, but I am in prayer. Those are my five words. And I think that's why when we're faced with what we're faced with today, these are our five words for our crisis. Let me just say this. I'm going to give you just two quick thoughts of why this is so important for us. When I am in prayer, number one, I remember how faithful God is. When I am in prayer, I remember how faithful God is. Think for just a moment here. Did, did Moses actually think through what he was doing to bring three and a half million people out of Egypt? Could he have, could he have calculated what this was going to be? That's why we have so much of the intercession of Moses' life. He was in prayer, a man that, that, that would talk with God. But think about this for a second. Only God could figure out how to take three and a half million people out of Egypt and provide for them. But let's, let's just for a moment talk about faithfulness of God. Think of this just for a moment. What would you have to do to provide every day? We're looking for toilet paper and we're looking for cases of water at Costco and at BJ's. Think, think about what Moses has to think through in a desert. You ready for this? The U.S. Army's quartermaster general, the person who's in charge of the supplies of the whole army, they calculated what Moses would have had to do to take these people out of Egypt with no Costco or Sam's Club. Here's what it says. Feeding three and a half million people requires food. And according to the U.S. Army Quartermaster General, Moses needed 1,500 tons of food a day. That's food filling two freight trains, each a mile long, every day. The, the, to cook the food, you would need wood or wood to stay warm. That's 4,000 tons of firewood, a few more freight trains, each a mile long. And don't forget about water. If they only had enough water to drink and wash a few dishes, it took 11 million gallons each day. That is 1,800 miles long of a train of tanker cars to do this for 40 years. Do you think Moses figured this out? Let me just tell you something. If God can do that, God can take us through this. God has a good track record. That's why when we pray, we remember if he brought them out, he could bring us out. Crisis makes me forget and see the present and forget the faithfulness of God. See, what worry is, worry is when the situation now dictates our actions, reactions, and emotions instead of what God's word says. Prayer brings us back to the faithfulness of God, back to the track record of God. And can I just remind you, God has a good track record in your life. Just, just pray and think back. Just say, God, inspire my memory, instruct my memory, 
let me just recount all that you've done just over the last year, over the last 10 years. You will be amazed what God has done. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says three times, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. And then gives a big why, because you have a father in heaven. That's what he says. When I worry, I forget my father. But when I pray, I'm reminded of all that my father has done for me. And all I think about is these incredible crisis words from David. But I am in prayer. I am in prayer, which means God is close. God is there. Talk about a crisis woman, Corey Temboon, the Holocaust survivor who wrote the book, The Hiding Place and survived um, the concentration camps. I was reading in her prayer journal one time, and these were the words she wrote. She said, Jesus, how foolish of me to have called for human help when you are already here with me. Think of that for just a moment. But I am in prayer reminds me he's already here. He's already here. I may be preaching to an empty sanctuary. He's here. He's with you. He's in your living room. He's in your car. He's with you right now. He's, he is right there with you wherever you're at around the country and around the world. But let me close with this and give you one more. Not only when I am in prayer, am I reminded of the faithfulness of God, but when I'm in prayer, I'm reminded of the greatness of God, how great God is. See, Crisis has a way of making God small and even seem uncaring with what we see around us with our eyes. Think of this for a moment. When, when the disciples were in a storm with Jesus, Pastor Carter talked about this. And, and, might, and, and, and might I add, Jesus is with them in the storm and their accusation in Mark 4.38 to Jesus in the boat, in the storm is this. Don't you care that we are perishing? Think of that for just a moment. Jesus speaks to the storm after the accusation of these disciples. And he looks at the storm and says, quiet, be still. I have this thought inside of me that he probably shouldn't have said that to the storm, but he should have said it to the 12 disciples. He should have said, quiet, be still, and then rode the storm out with him. But this is the mercy and the goodness and the greatness of God. Think about this. Our five words, but I am in prayer. And, and, and not, don't you care. See, prayer changes us even during the crisis. During the situation. I was thinking yesterday, as I was praying for you and praying for this moment that we would just have together, and I was thinking of a crisis woman in the Bible. Her name was Hannah. And as she was facing a crisis moment in her life, which would have been a, a, a crisis curse of a woman being barren, we're told that her barren womb affected her emotionally. And that that crisis moved Hannah into those five words. I'm barren, but I am in prayer. Th think what she does in her crisis moment, this and how it changed her. Listen to 1 Samuel 1.10. It says this, she greatly distressed, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Great distress, and then if we could just put David's words, but she was in prayer. That, that it took her crisis, her COVID-19, her barrenness, um, like David's ticker of watching all the people accuse him, come against him, surround him, fight against him. But I'm in prayer. 
Hannah does the same thing. And here's what's amazing. In literally eight verses, this is what it says. She said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way, Hannah went her way, and look at this, and her face was no longer sad. Think of what just happened. Prayer began now to change her emotions from being greatly distressed to go, I don't have to be distressed. God is on my side. That's what happens. When you're looking at people, and, 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 and Pastor Teresa was talking about this, of the worry and seeing it on people's faces. Think for just a moment with me. When Hannah goes to prayer, great distress removes the sadness. When David goes to prayer, but I am in prayer. Five words for our crisis today. Here's what you start to realize. Prayer changed the distress and sadness and she wasn't even pregnant yet. Pregnant doesn't happen until a few verses later. She is, she is not happy because she's pregnant. She's happy because she talked to a God that can change our, our, us in the middle of any circumstance that we're going through. God changes me in and for my crisis. My joy is not from a miracle. My joy comes from the presence of the Lord's. That's where our joy comes from. Let me close with this as Greg and the team come because I want them to lead us in one more song, but I want you to listen to this. I want to give you one more verse as we close today and as we encourage you here from the heart of New York City. This is Romans 8, verse 37. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul. Talk about being a crisis man. He says this, but... Just like David started, just like David said, but I am in prayer. Paul starts with his conjunction, but in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then he throws in his COVID-19. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. But in all these things, we are more than conquerors, beloved. Okay, think for just a second. The key word in this Verse, verse 37, is not after these things, but while we're in these things, we're still more than conquerors. He didn't say when they're done. Hannah didn't say, I'll be happy when I'm pregnant. David didn't say, I'll go to prayer after and, and start looking to God after the crisis is over. And neither are we in this moment, in the season that we're at, in the crisis that we're part of. We are more than conquerors. This is the key word, as I said, is in. in. In, not after the quarantine is done and everything comes down, but in it I conquer. Prayer helps you and me conquer in, but not after. My five words in a crisis, but I am in prayer. Listen to me close. I may be in isolation right now. I may be in lockdown. I may be in quarantine, but hallelujah, but I'm in prayer. That doesn't matter. Lock me up for 14 days. Whatever you have to do, I am in prayer. How, how come, how come as we play, how come 
with the, with the heaviest steel, heaviest steel that you can make a submarine out of, that when they go down and submerge in the water, they have a limitation. That if they go down too far, it will literally crush like a Coke can. The pressure, the deeper you go, the pressure pushes in and destroys it. We would call that the water pressure, that pressure underneath. The deeper you go, the pressure starts pushing. But here's what, when I thought about those little 26 feet fish, here's my question. How come the deeper they go, they never get crushed? Our technology, our military power and prowess, we can't build a sub that goes down to the depths of the ocean or the pressure crushes it. But a little fish that God created can go all the way down and just swim like nothing is wrong. What, what, where did this come from? Listen, because when God created those fish in Genesis chapter 1, he created them with an internal pressure system that corresponds to the pressure on the outside. Did you hear what I just said? There is an internal pressure system that begins to make sure that the outside pressure can't push them in. They have something in them that keeps the outside pressure from crushing them. And, and can I just encourage you today? We got it too. You ready for this? The harder it gets, we don't know what the next two weeks are going to hold. We don't know if Broadway's going to meet again on, on, on April 13th. We don't even know if the churches in America are going to meet on Easter Sunday. But I want you to listen to me close. While even pastors and everybody's worrying, will we have offerings and money? Will we even have a job? Listen to me close. The harder it gets, we can still be more than conquerors in what we're going through. How? We have an internal pressure system that will not allow you or me to be crushed. Pastor Tim, what is it? Here it is. I'm sorry, I've got to look at my, my, my audience here. But I'm going to tell you what the pressure system is. Here it is now. You ready for this? Greater is he that is in me pushing things out than he that is in the world. I got him in me that keeps the pressure out from crushing me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Five words for every crisis. But I am in prayer. That's my pressure system. That's what keeps everything out. That's why, listen to me close. Maybe some of you are watching and wondering why you keep getting crushed. And you're thinking, I just got to be in church. I got to be in church. I got to be in church. Listen, the churches are getting crushed. The church is the submarine. We're getting, churches, churches seem to be getting, but here's the thing, but not the believer, because it's not you being in church. Listen, it's Jesus being in you. That's the difference. Some of you think I got to sit in a synagogue. I got to sit in a chapel. I've got to sit in, in, in the, in the, in the uh, cathedral. I got to sit in the church. And I'm telling you, sitting in this building will not simply take the pressure away. Christ in us. Greater is he that is in me. That's what takes it away. Well, Pastor Tim, this is important now. 
then how do I get Jesus in me? I thought I have to be in church to get Jesus in me. I thought I have to be water baptized to get Jesus in me. I thought I have to be a good person. All, all those things are great. But here's what I want you to understand today. Regardless of the good things you've done and regardless of the bad things you've done, that's not why Jesus comes in us or won't come in us. We think my past is so bad or I've done so many good things to get me to heaven or to have Jesus inside of me. But I'm here to tell you simply this, and this is so important today. I want Jesus to be in you, not only to handle the pressure on the outside, but this too is going to pass one day. But to walk you through life, to walk you through death, and to walk you all the way to forgive, to, into heaven as a forgiven person one day. But listen, Jesus uses the word this, you must be born again. No man, John 3, 3 and John 3, 5, no man can see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. Well, how does that happen, Pastor Tim? This is the Jesus in us. This is the, the pressure, the, 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 the pressurized system that says me inside of you gets you through life and gets you to eternity and to heaven then how do I become born again, Pastor Tim? Just as you had a first birth in a hospital, you need a second birth, and that can happen right now. That can happen by you sharing, maybe sharing this with somebody as, you, as you've watched it today. And maybe you're gonna send a link to somebody that needs to get Jesus in them. How does that happen? And it's as simple as ABC. It's A, admitting that I'm a sinner, that every one of us, starting with me, we're broken people. We have a condition called sin that we can't fix on our own. I can't fix it with a priest or a pastor. I can't fix it with a promise or a program. I need somebody to fix it for me, and only God can. That's why 2,000 years ago, God sent his son to die on the cross. That's the B word, B, believing that God loved me so much that he would send his son that he would live a life I couldn't live, die a death I should have died to give me a reward I don't even deserve called heaven. If, if me being good enough could get me to heaven, then why would God have to send his own son and die that cruel death on the cross? We can't get there on our own. We need God. And he says, it's not only admitting I'm a sinner, but believing that Jesus died that death for me. He was my sin bearer. And see, confessing him as Lord, saying, you're in charge of my life now. To confess Jesus as Lord is now entering not into a religion, but a relationship. It's not just saying, Jesus, you get to have Sundays for two hours. It's Jesus, you have every day of my life. Pastor Tim, I, I'd like to take that journey, but I'm, but I'm not perfect. Exactly. Perfect people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. Today, I want you to be born again. Just as David said, I am in prayer. Would you join me in prayer right now? I want to lead you in a born-again prayer. Wherever you're at, if you would just close your eyes. You could even leave them open. Prayer, prayer doesn't, it doesn't make it more prayer if you close your eyes. But, but sometimes we close our eyes just to kind of keep out distractions. But I want to pray a prayer with you today as we close and then sing. And I want you just to... Say this out loud. Say it. If, if you're in a room with people, just whisper it. Say it. Just say these words. Let me read them to you. Dear Lord Jesus, 
I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. God is my father. Jesus is my savior. And the Holy Spirit is my helper. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. You, you just got a brand new internal pressure system. You got a savior. You got Jesus today.